0: That means he prophesied uh, after the Israelites came back from captivity in Babylon. Uh, His uh, big issue was the rebuilding of the temple, which would be what we call the second temple. Uh, Solomon's temple, the first temple, got destroyed when the Babylonians or the Chaldeans uh, conquered Jerusalem. So they get to return after exile. And after they return, they're rebuilding their lives. Rebuilding the city, rebuilding the city walls. And Zechariah's pushing them to rebuild the temple. Part of what he is doing is reminding them that uh, all of God's covenant promises for the Israelites somehow didn't get nullified by the Babylonian captivity and the, the conquest by the Babylonians. So he's, he's reminding them... Of the need for the temple, and because he's talking so much about the temple, uh, he 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 is uh, to use a word from last week. He he is an eschatological prophet. Eschaton just means the end. So eschatology is the study of last things. Uh, We have a lot of books in uh, both New and Old Testament that have eschatological parts. Uh, Some books are completely eschatological, like the book of Revelation and the New Testament. So he's looking way into the future. And remember last week we looked at just one short two-verse passage out of Zechariah chapter 9, where within a verse of each other, he prophesies about the first coming of Messiah and the second coming of Messiah. And you find some of both in the the prophecy of Zechariah. Uh, what What we're looking at are the last three chapters of Zechariah. Uh, They're a unit. They are a self-contained oracle from Zechariah where he's prophesying about the future, the distant future of the Israelite people. Uh, After they return from Babylonian captivity, uh, the only two tribes that returned from Babylon in captivity are Judah and Benjamin. Uh, the, the top northern ten tribes that were carried away by the Assyrians, uh, they never get an official return. That's why they're referred to sometimes as what? The lost tribes, ten lost tribes. They weren't really lost, they just got assimilated into wherever they went to. Uh, that's one of the reasons for centuries there was a huge Jewish community in, in Babylon. Uh, but the ten tribes of the north, they got conquered by the Syrians. They never had an official opportunity to return. But those two southern tribes did. Uh, they were conquered later by the Babylonians, and when the Persians came to power, they had Cyrus the Persian allowed whoever wanted to, to to return back to Jerusalem. So since those two Tribes that got to return back are Judea, Judah and um, Benjamin. That southern area is called Judah by the time of Jesus. That southern area is called Judea. so guess always start calling these people after the return. Jews. Uh, so you use the word Israelite before or Hebrew before, uh, you can still continue to use those words, but the word Jew starts getting into the biblical literature after the Judeans come back from captivity. Anyway, the Judeans come back, they're rebuilding Jerusalem They're in Judah, and uh, Zechariah wants them to rebuild the temple. Because Zechariah is reminding them that some of God's promises, particularly far distant or Distant future promises that God has given to the to the Jews uh, will be fulfilled partially contingent upon there being a temple, and so he wants it rebuilt. So, with that, uh, look at chapter twelve, and you have to take your mind to the future. And uh, who who knows that this great future for Zechariah could be our present. Uh, we are about 2,000. We're about 2,600 years post zechariah today. So his distant future could be our present or our near future. So look at chapter 12. We're going to look. We're going to look at a unit, chapter 12: 1 through 13: 1 today. So hang on. A lot of verses. Several verses. Starts off the oracle. Um, some of you that are. With me for our Habakkuk study out at River Landing, Uh, you heard Habakkuk start his prophecy with the same word, the oracle. The literal word there, and I bet some of your translations use the literal word there instead of oracle, is the burden. Uh, A a prophecy given to a prophet, uh, an oracle given to a prophet, like this vision of the future, uh, is a heavy burden is something that uh, they they have to they have to relay, they have to share with the people. It's a message God has given to them that they can't just walk away from. So it's usually translated oracle, but it literally in Hebrew is the burden. The burden of the word of the Lord concerning Israel. Thus declares the Lord. So you're going to basically hear um about three things here. You're going to hear about the nations coming against Jerusalem. You're going to hear about um, um, the Jewish, the Jewish uh, revival in this same period. Those are the only two things you're really going to hear in this this section, and then we'll hear more in the remainder of thirteen and fourteen. Uh, but you're going to start hearing about how the nations will come against Jerusalem, and you know you don't have to watch much of the news to realize that that's that's not a. Um, Unlikely possibility. I mean, every one of the neighbors of Jerusalem, uh, every one of the neighbors of Israel, uh, is in a state of um, hostility toward Israel. You know, she was declared a state in May 1948, and the day after she was declared a state, every one of her neighbors declared war on her. Um, To this day, Hamas, Hezbollah, and uh, even some nations that stand behind them. such as the Soviet Union, um, that they, they exist for the purpose of destroying Israel. So it's amazing how contemporary this feels. feels. So Israel um, is Israel's being prophesied as uh, the center of an international controversy, which again, that's not unusual. Here's a little state the size of Maryland that is always in our news. That anything that happens in Israel has international consequences. So that's part of what Zechariah looking for, looking toward. So, here, listen to what he says. Thus declares the Lord who stretched out the heavens and founded the earth and formed the spirit of man within. So, this is the Lord who created all that is. So, this one that, can cre- that did create all that is obviously can bring all that is to completion. "...can bring all that is to consummation." Verse 2, "...behold, I'm about to make Jerusalem a cup of staggering." In other words, someone's going to drink, uh, take drinks of Jerusalem, and it's going to make them stagger as if they're drunk. Uh, And he's going to explain this. Uh, the, The nations that come against Jerusalem, it will not end well for them." Um, you may know the Abrahamic promise. Uh, if not, learn about the Abrahamic promise. Uh, it's, it's related several times in the Hebrew Bible. The most famous uh, relation um, of, of, of the Abrahamic promise is in uh, Genesis twelve one through 3. That's where you hear God call Abraham, Abram, Abraham, call him to be a father of many people, and through those many people, the whole world will be blessed. We kind of read Jesus at that point. Through the many people of Abraham, the whole world will be blessed. And here you are in, in Highport, North Carolina, studying the Hebrew Scriptures today. So through Abraham, the people of Abraham, the seed of Abraham, the whole world will be blessed. But then at the end of, um, at the end of those three verses, in verse 3 of chapter 12, uh, it says... Those who bless the seed of Abraham will be blessed. Those who curse the seed of Abraham will be cursed, or the it literally says destroyed. So that's the Abrahamic promise. Uh, it's been there since Abraham, that if you if you bless the seed of Abraham, you'll be blessed. If you curse the seed of Abraham, you'll be cursed. Um, there are a whole lot of us who love American history, and we, we say that... Um, one of the reasons our nation historically has been blessed is we've been friends with the Jewish people um, throughout our history. Long before that was the reemergence of the state of Israel in the Middle East, we've been friends with the Jewish people. And that's why your ancestors, anyway, named their kids Ze- Zechariah and Zedekiah and Caleb and Jared and Elijah. and uh, That was very common uh, in the early, early years of the settlement of the United States. Uh, the colonies. So, um, but that's a promise that God gave to Abraham, that uh, all of all of the human race will be blessed through his seed, and those who uh, stand with them will be blessed, and those who stand against them will be will be destroyed. So, you're going to see sort of the fulfillment of, of that part of the Abrahamic promise here. Um, you know, whoever is Jerusalem has been conquered as a city uh, has been conquered forty four times. In her history. Um, It never ends well for those who conquer Jerusalem. Uh, Again, back to the Abrahamic covenant. It never ends well for nations that go against um, uh, God's chosen people. Anyway, so uh, here he says, or God speaking through Zechariah says, I'm about to make Jerusalem a cup of staggering. You don't want to drink this. To make Jerusalem a cup of staggering to all the surrounding peoples, and again, keep in mind, when Israel was declared a state by the United Nations, the next day all of her surrounding nations declared war on her. And she was declared a state and then had to fight her war of independence uh, to become a state when the United Nations declared her a state. So um, all of those surrounding peoples, the, sa- the siege of Jerusalem will also be against Judah. So that's saying, Judah is the region. Jerusalem's the city. So he's just saying that when they come against Jerusalem, they'll they'll also come against the region. Uh, Just like today, Jerusalem is the city, Israel is the nation. So, um, yeah, all of Judah um, will participate in in the attacks on Jerusalem. Verse 3, on that day, uh, beginning right here and for 16 times more, in these three chapters, you're going to hear that phrase, on that day. Again, we're looking at a future day. It's the day that many of the prophets in the Hebrew Bible call the day of the Lord. The day when God sets everything right, or the season, or the day when God sets everything right. The day when, when God consummates His creation. So here's, here's the first occurrence in this section. On that, day, on that day, I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the people. Again, it doesn't end well when you come against Jerusalem. I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the people. All who lift it will surely hurt themselves, and all the nations of the earth will gather against it again, it doesn't take a stretch of the imagination to see this happening. Uh, you know like in the in the in the Yom Kippur War of nineteen seventy three um which of course She was attacked because it was Yom Kippur, and the Jewish people were busy with their Day of Atonement when several of her neighbors attacked. And um, even in a situation like that, you see who prevailed in 73, you see who prevailed in 67, you see who prevailed in 57, you see who prevailed in 48, Uh, but you can keep on going back. Uh, some people conquered uh, uh, the, the region and kept it for a while, but it, so far it never has never ended well. Whether you're the Mamelukes, whether you were the Byzantine Christians, whether you were the Ottoman Turks, the list goes on. Eventually, whoever uh, has conquered that region, um, just like England. You know, England got it after World War One. They got it in 19... Um, 1918, in the settlement after World War I, and that's why by 1948 they're saying, please, for our sake, United Nations, take it away from us. And that's when United Nations took it from England uh, and created the state of Israel. So it never ends well for the people who try to occupy uh, the holy land there. So um, he he goes on, verse 4 after he said, "All the nations of the earth," and that's hyperbole, all the nations of the earth, and a lot of the nations will come after his Verse four: On that day, declares the Lord, I will strike every horse with panic, and its rider with madness. Before the sake of the before the sake of the house of Judah, I will keep my eyes open. God looks out for his people. I will keep my eyes open when I strike every horse of the people with blindness. The horse. That's, in the ancient world, that was your military instrument that you rode into battle. So military instruments. Uh, For the sake of the house of Judah, i keep my eyes open when I strike every horse of the people with blindness. Uh, we have examples, like in the 1st in the 2nd Chronicles, of people coming against Jerusalem, and, and, the, and they, they would be supernaturally confused, supernaturally blinded, uh, and it didn't end well. Verse 5, then the clans of Judah shall say to themselves, the inhabitants of Jerusalem have strength through the Lord of hosts, their God. Um, that's what they said in 1973 with Yom Kippur War. That's what they said in 1967 when they retook the old city. Uh, and, you know, that's what the world noticed when little newly created Israel uh, could vanquish all of her enemies that surrounded her. Uh, So it says here, the inhabitants of Judah, the clans of Judah, will say, "The inhabitants of Jerusalem have strength through the Lord of Hosts." When you set their God, uh, that phrase "Lord of Hosts" is a typical phrase um, in the Scriptures. Um, You know, you know what host is speaking of. There's a couple of contemporary translation that helps you out. They will say "Lord of Angel Armies." They, they just go ahead and define who the hosts are for you. But that's what that phrase, Lord of hosts, the, the, the Lord has armies, angel armies. And that's the host that's being referred to when, when God's referred to as the Lord of hosts, Lord Sabiat, Lord of hosts. So verse 6, "...on that day I will make the clans of Judah like a blazing pot." in the midst of wood like a flaming torch among themselves. They shall devour to the right and to the left all the surrounding peoples, while Jerusalem shall again be inhabited in its place in Jerusalem." So, um, we know who wins. Even if they're inhabited for a season by their enemies, we know who ultimately prevails. Verse 7, "...and the Lord will give salvation to the tents of Judah first. that's the region, Surrounding the city. And the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem may not surpass that of Judah, so that the glory returns. On that day the Lord will protect the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that, watch this, so that the feeblest among them on that day shall be like David. And the house of David shall be like God, like the angel of the Lord. Uh, That's probably a reference to Messiah, the angel of the Lord is the warrior of God. The angel of the Messiah shall be like the house of David. They shall be like God. They shall be like the angel of the Lord, Messiah, going before them. And on that day, God says, I seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Um, part of the ongoing issue with, the, so, with Russia has been Russia and the Soviet Union have always sided with the enemies of Israel. Um, they 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 fund people like Hamas. They fund people like Hezbollah. So uh, here's here's this reference to the, the the people coming against Jerusalem in this great final end time battle. And already, and you're gonna see an interesting reference in a minute. Already, this great famous end time battle um, in the Book of Revelation has a particular name. And you're going to see it referenced in just a moment in this text. And the, the particular name of the final end-time battle is Armageddon. And you'll see it referenced here in Zechariah in a moment, and you'll see where that word comes from. Anyway, so, um, yeah, uh, it's not, it doesn't take a stretch of imagination for nations to come against Jerusalem. And um, the promise from God is they will be defeated, as they have been, Ultimately, every time they've come against Jerusalem, but there'll be one final, final battle, and they'll be defeated. But here we get into what I think is a very exciting part of the prophecy. And as, as part of uh, the scriptures that particularly your founding fathers and mothers, uh, the, the, the Puritans that settled New England, uh, is part of their firm convictions about um, uh, biblical prophecy, and it has to do with the final conversion. Of the Jewish people, uh, we get that in several places in the Bible uh, that eventually the the chosen people will turn in mass uh, to the Messiah. Look at verse ten, and I will pour out same kind of language you get on the day of Pentecost, and I will pour out on the house of David and on in the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy or supplication spirit of grace and supplication. I'll pour out a spirit of grace, supplication. That sounds like Pentecost. So even if you just stopped reading right here, you'd already be thinking something like a Pentecostal a Pentecostal revival. Acts 2, God pouring his spirit out on people. So he says, I'll pour out um, on the house of David, Jewish people, on the house of David, and it's in the inhabitants of Jerusalem, a spirit of grace and supplication, so that when they look... On me, and we Christians have noticed this one. And when they look on me, whom they have what? Pierced. Now, you don't need a degree in Christian theology for your mind to go to a certain place at this point on the one who was pierced. And you don't need a degree in Christian theology to notice that the one who was pierced here is referenced as me, as God speaks. You know, so when those people knock on your door and tell you the Roman Catholics and and the, the later church, you know, the 4th century church made us make up a doctrine of the divinity of Christ, tell them you've read the book. I mean, Christians believed in the divinity of Christ from the beginning. And when Jews started believing in the divinity of anyone, that was a hard sell for the Jewish community um, that, that a human being could participate in the divine nature. So when the, when the early Christian community started uh, proclaiming Jesus as divine, um, that was not something that, 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 that they took lightly. Um, and there's lots of reasons. It was not a late invention of the church. And Emperor Constantine didn't make us Uh, and endorse the divinity of Jesus. It comes out of the the Scriptures. So here's the one who was pierced being referred to as me by God. So notice when they get this uh, this spirit of grace and supplication. They will receive this spirit of grace and supplication when they look on the one they have pierced. Um, so you know, we've thought maybe for centuries. We thought, you know, when Messiah returns, and like Thomas, they see the wounds of his crucifixion. Um, they they will embrace Jesus as Messiah. So here's this end time revival. While you're there, just to show you, um, turn, put your finger there, and like turn to uh, Romans chapter eleven. Paul And people just love to ignore this section of Romans. And it's even occasionally referred to as a parenthetical statement, a parenthetical section of Romans, which is amazing because there's three whole chapters, chapters 9, 10, and 11 in Romans. In chapters 9, 10, and 11 in Romans, Paul is writing to the church in Rome, which is a blended church, uh, Gentiles and Jewish. The longest, the oldest continually in existence Jewish community, because Jews were banished from Jerusalem at one point. The longest, most, the oldest continuous community of Jews in the world today is Rome, city of Rome. So Paul is writing to, um, The Christians in Rome, they're a blended community, Gentile and Jewish. And I know none of you can imagine this, but the church is not getting along well there in Rome. So he's trying to build bridges between the Roman Gentiles and the Roman Jews that are there in the Christian church. So he gives three whole chapters about the Jewish people and and how the Jewish people still fit into the plan of God. Um, but just want you to see a little taste of it, if you look at nine ten and eleven and if you look at nine ten and eleven toward the end of nine ten and eleven look at verse 25 of chapter 11 and in, in my edition of the Bible there 's a heading here, the mystery of Israel's salvation." Paul is talking about how eventually the Jewish people will come to Christ in mass. Verse twenty-five: Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel. That's the situation they're in today, of uh, the Jewish people. A partial hardening has come upon Israel, and Paul's going to tell you the reason for that. Until the fullness. Of uh, the Gentiles have come in. If all the Jews had embraced Jesus, they might have never let it get out of Jerusalem. But because a lot of the Jewish community in the first century didn't embrace um, Jesus, it went to the world. So uh, this this partial God has allowed this partial hardening of the heart of the Jewish people until the the full number of Gentiles—that's us—get to come in. So until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And then look at verse 26. I hope you've run across this one before. And in this way, after the Gentiles are in, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. And then Paul quotes Old Testament. He quotes Old Testament. Uh, as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness. And this will be my covenant with them, and I will take away their sins. And that just automatically takes you back to Zechariah. Um, Paul's prophesying the same day that Zechariah's prophesying, or Paul is reminding the people of what had been prophesied. There will come a period when all Israel will be saved. So go back to Zechariah now. So um, you got this spirit of of, uh, grace very Christian term, the spirit of grace and supplication being poured out on the people who see God, and they mourn because they mourn for the one whom they have pierced. They shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child. And I've been told for almost 40 years the hardest death to deal with is the death of a child. Um, So this kind of mourning that the Jewish people will do when they see Messiah... And they see the, the, the marks of the piercings of Messiah and realize it is Jesus. Uh, they will mourn as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one who weeps over a firstborn. On that day, the mourning in Jerusalem. Now watch this. Will be as great as the mourning for Hadad-Rimon uh, in the plain of where? Do you know if you take the word Megiddo, which is Hebrew... And you put it into Greek, and you say the Mount of Megiddo. It's a mountain. Some of you have been to Mount Megiddo with me. Uh, if, you say, if you put it in the Greek of the New Testament, uh, specifically Revelation chapter 16, you put Megiddo into the Greek New Testament, you say the Mount of Megiddo. Guess what that is in, in Hebrew that gets into the Greek? Armageddon. That's where the word Armageddon comes from. Armageddon means the Mount of Megiddo. So here's, 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 here's weeping and mourning in the plain of Megiddo that, that reminds them, by the way, of uh, 2 Chronicles 35, when King Josiah, who was one of their good kings, they didn't have a lot of them, but King Josiah was one of their good kings who got, well, he got wounded uh, when he was doing battle with the Egyptians in, in the plain of Megiddo there by the Mount of Megiddo. He was wounded in that battle. Against uh, Nico, the Egyptian commander um, Pharaoh, and uh, they carry him back to Jerusalem, but he dies in Jerusalem. So basically, he is killed in that in that battle uh, that took place uh, in, in the, there by Megiddo. Um, it's recorded in Second Chronicles thirty-five. So th- there's been multiple, 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 multiple battles fought there in the Jezreel Valley by the Mount of Megiddo uh, as late as World War One. There was a battle fought there. So that's, that's that's historically been a scene of 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 great battles. So uh yeah, here you got Megiddo uh being referenced as part of the uh, as part of the great anguish that will be occurring at this period. The land shall go on verse twelve. The land shall mourn each family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan by itself, and their wives. Now, so there's all the families of David, including Nathan, who was a son. There's all the families of David. Uh, They're going to be mourning. All the families of David will be mourning. Verse 13, the family of the house of Levi, that's the priesthood family of the house of Levi by itself and their wives by themselves. The family of the Shemites. Uh, Shemai was a grandson of Levi, uh, the founder of the priestly order. The family of the Shemites by themselves and their wives by themselves. And all the families that are left, each by itself and their wives by themselves. So there'll be great destruction with the final battle. But we know the outcome of the great final battle that takes place. Uh, as the nations come against Jerusalem. Uh, Then look at verse 1 of chapter 13. Uh, Usually these numbers we placed in right places. Sometimes we placed them in wrong places. Keep reading. Pretend that number 13 is not there. On that day, there should be a fountain open for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. There's going to be a great fountain open in, in this time period, when the nations come against Israel, Jerusalem, and uh, they're eventually defeated. There's bloodshed that they come against. Uh, they come against Jerusalem. Uh, this is also the time of great revival, great turning to um, to the Messiah during this time, and there will be a fountain. You know, I always think about. And actually, this, this hymn is based on this text. There is a fountain filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel's vein. Um, that fountain of cleansing uh, that we sing about. um, That's the fountain here. You can go back to Ezekiel 37 and read about this fountain. You can go back to Ezekiel 47 and read about this fountain. Uh, You can go to Revelation 22 and read about this fountain. But it's God's mercy, God's love, God's grace and cleansing that's being poured out on the the people of, um, of David and Levi at this point. That's part of that great revival. So that is a good stopping point. We'll do 13-2, uh, probably into 14 next week.